Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. So I've grown up to the calls of coil, Asian coil, uh, and crows, house crows in India, and then city noises, traffic noises, obviously. Kartik grew up in Coimbatore in southern India. And those sounds he remembers from childhood, crow and Asian coil bird calls, the noise of the city, they had an impact on him. And stray dogs, they bark a lot in India. That's the soundscape we have. And thunder. Sound of thunder and rain, downpour, tropical downpours. I think these are the main sounds that I remember growing up. No mai harumai kito tato au hurihuri. Ko Claire and Canon Tene. Welcome back to Our Changing World for 2022. I'm looking forward to taking you all over Aotearoa to tell you the most fascinating science and nature stories that are out there. But to kick off the year, something a little different. We meet Karthik SS, the producer of a podcast based in Otaputi, Dunedin, that's called Tune Into Nature. And we're going to listen to one of the episodes he has created about Titipunamu on the Otago Peninsula. First, I caught up with Kartik to learn a bit more about his background and about how the podcast got started. My background is I'm a filmmaker, basically. I'm a wildlife filmmaker and a science communicator. I did the science communication course at the University of Otago, uh, Center for Science Communication. And then I've been working with NHNZ in Dunedin, which is Naturalist Free New Zealand. So they make wildlife documentaries for global broadcasters. And so that's my background coming as a filmmaker into the sound world. Where are you from, Karthik? I come from Tamil Nadu, a state in southern India. So it's warm tropics. (laughs) It's humid as well. It's like 33 degrees average throughout the year. And the coldest it gets, I used to tell my friends, the coldest it gets... It's around 20 degrees the night in December, and it's a land of monsoons and elephants. And right outside my city, which is Coimbatore in Tamil Nadu, there's the elephant corridor. So we get those tuskers going around. So when I went for a run outside, just outside my town, it's like 10 kilometers outside my town, and I was stopped on the way by someone and then said, there's a big male tusker. And then I peeped out, and then there was a tusker standing just having his, having his breakfast. There's buses and like queues of vehicles waiting for him to make his way. So it's that kind of uh, place. A tusker, Karthik tells me, is a name for a large male elephant. So from this land of elephants and monsoons, he travelled to Dunedin four years ago to study at the Centre for Science Communication. For a change, not just in temperatures, but also in soundscapes. 
And this was something he explored in the very first podcast he made as part of his course, which was played on Our Changing Worlds as part of the 2019 Summer Science Series. The brief was to make a podcast which has some nature soundscapes in it or illustrates a soundscape. So I, I came across a friend in the Department of Zoology at the University of Otago who was researching how New Zealanders view our urban green spaces. So especially communities like Asian, Maori uh, and LGBTQ communities. How do they view urban green spaces? So that was a project which was pretty interesting for me in terms of soundscapes. Coming from India, again, it's hard to find a forest uh, like we have got in Dunedin, the town belt. So it was amazing for me to just walk five minutes from my home and walk into a space of birdsong and lush forest and stream flowing through and all this. So it was amazing for me. So I wanted to tell that story and combine this research. So I recorded a soundscape from the city walking up to the town belt, how the sounds change. So the sounds change from cars and building construction noises to birdsong and stream sounds. So tell me about the Tune Into Nature podcast then. What is it about and what is the aim of the podcast? So the Tune Into Nature podcast is it's a collection of sounds and stories about uh, nature and wildlife happening around Dunedin and Otago. The aim of the podcast is to tell stories to people and get them to connect with nature and inspire them to connect with nature whenever they are out and about. It's something that I've noticed, like the episodes are very sound rich and you focus a lot on soundscapes. Is that how you move through the world, you know, while you're out and about, whether you're cycling to work or walking down the street? Are you noticing the sounds around you all the time? Yes, I try to. And I think it's also uh, has to do with filmmaking as well. When you think of filmmaking, it's always, we think visuals, but some sound mixers say a film is 51% sound because try watching a film on mute and you will never get that feel. So I think it's also got to do with that filmmaking. I, I take my sound seriously, so I sort of, I enjoy the process of listening and like enjoying uh, the soundscapes as well. So I try to bring that in to my podcast. So Karthik, how did the podcast come about? So it all started with a project called After Erova Stories and Sound, uh, which is started by Professor Nancy Longnecker at the Center for Science Communication. So the idea was collecting memorable sounds to New Zealanders all around Aotearoa, but then COVID hit and then we had to go local. So we were continuing to collect sounds, local sounds around Dunedin and Otago and even other parts of New Zealand virtually. But then we thought we could produce a podcast, tell stories of our nature and wildlife and conservation work that's happening. And we approached Otago Access Radio who are really happy to have the show on board and broadcast it and also podcast the show. And we've got some funding from the Otago Regional Council's EcoFund, which has actually allowed me to go out and record these stories. So it's a really great collaborative effort. And this also goes out for an international audience on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other streaming podcast platforms. So it's pretty great to look at analytics and think we have also gone out and we have got listeners from outside New Zealand listening to Aotearoa's stories. So that has been a great thing out of this podcast. So here is an episode of the Tune Into Nature podcast called The Story of Titi Punamu Rifleman on Otago Peninsula. 
It's around 6:30 in the morning and we are walking through a dense coastal forest. The track is not well defined and we are zigzagging through the trees. I am with Marcia Dale and Shanta McPherson and we are looking for one of the most elusive hard to find birds in the country. It's also the smallest bird of Aotearoa, New Zealand, the rifleman. There's the box over there. Can you see it? Yeah. So if you walk in, yeah. just keep your eyes closely on it and see if the bird, see if a rifleman slips off it. Okay. And if it does, just stand still and uh, you may get a glimpse. So just wander in and yeah. let's see if we can get you a glimpse. This is Shanta teaching me how to approach a rifleman nest. I slowly make my way towards the tree, careful not to make any noise. It's hard with all the leaf litter and little twigs on the ground. Ahead of me, I can see a box which is in shape of a little house and it's fixed to the tree trunk. The box has been put out for the rifleman to nest. And right there, I saw a very tiny bird flying out of the box. Oh yeah. So, yeah, flew out that way. It was so quick and it was up in the canopy in a flash. And that was my first time actually seeing the rifleman. It looked like a small greenish ball of fluff climbing up and hopping around the trunk. It was unbelievably tiny and I was lucky to get a good look. Shanta walks close to the box, switches his torch on and looks into the entrance of the nest. Look down the mouth, down the tunnel and I can see a nest. It's made out of uh, leaf skeletons, you know, dry plant material and I can see a tunnel heading into the back and at the back of that I can see some feathers. So the nest is lined so I'd expect there's some eggs in it. Let's have a look. And that was our first rifleman nest of the day. So what does the rifleman mean to you? Well I think the bird means a lot to me. Um, um, as, it's, as a smallest bird it's a bit of an icon of the New Zealand forest. It's also a bird that likes good quality forest and so it's a marker species. We often think that the species that show that our, our ecosystem is in good heart are the big things, you know, talk about the wolves and Yellowstone and, the, and, and that sort of thing, but also sometimes the marker of a good habitat is, is, is at the small end of the scale and this tiny bird is present in, in reasonable quality forest. And, I, and I've enjoyed having a lifetime association with them. I think they're a, they're a wonderful creature. Yeah, well, Shanta's just given a really intelligent answer. Um, I like them because they're cute and little. Um, as you might be able to tell, I'm not that big, um, so I quite like little things. Um, yeah, they're just they're just a really delightful bird. Um, the fact that they are New Zealand's smallest bird just really speaks to me. Marcia and Shanta will be going around the forest checking nest boxes for active nests. And I'll be tagging along with them to hear about how these little nest boxes are helping New Zealand's smallest bird. We're uh, day two of the second annual rifleman census. We're going to just uh, check some of the, um, the nest boxes that our volunteers have built and uh, installed in um, places, patches of bush around the peninsula. Marcia Dale is the community coordinator of the Otago Peninsula Biodiversity Group. So if you look at the map, the Otago Peninsula is a finger-shaped piece of land 
that juts out from the mainland New Zealand. That's the vast Pacific Ocean on one side and the more sheltered Otago Harbour on the other. The land is hilly and rugged and is home to a range of wildlife like geckos, penguins, sea lions, majestic albatrosses and the little riflemen. So the Otago Peninsula Biodiversity Group involves residents and volunteers working towards protecting wildlife and natural habitats on the peninsula. Today, we are in a forest on the eastern side of the peninsula near the town of Portobello. The morning is not too cold and no wind at all, which is a surprise given how windy it gets here. We are heading into the forest full of kanuka trees. Masia and Shanta are both wearing a beanie and are layered up because it's always colder inside the forest. I'm wearing my headphones to monitor the audio with my sound recorder ready. Shanta is carrying a notebook to jot down observations and Marcia is sipping some tea from a thermos. Um, well, I've got some caffeine now, so um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm not a morning person, but um, yeah, I, I make an exception on uh, special occasions and it's always quite a novelty coming out and seeing the sunrise and uh, yeah, it's worth it for these little birds. There are about 30 nest boxes in this patch of forest. To get to some of them, we walked up and down hills, crossed many fences and at one point used the rope to climb a steep bank. So we've, um, we've just come into this property off the road. We had a nice easy walk across a bit of um, paddock, uh, but then we had to do a little bit of mountaineering, climbing up a rope to uh, get up a steep bank and um, now we're into um, Kanuka Forest. So we're in the spot where, um, where I installed my first um, rifleman box for the project. Um, and we're in this patch of bush um, with a few volunteers and um, um, one of them did a bit of a karakia for the project with the first, uh, first installation. Karakia are Māori prayers and in this case they were used so that the rifleman project gets a favourable outcome. We'd been in the forest for two or three hours um, doing some other work and as soon as she did the karakia we heard our first rifleman for the day came up and flew right over us and just started calling really loudly and I was like, that is a good omen for this project. It was really cool. In the Māori language, the bird is called Titi Punamu or Tititi Punamu. Tititi means a mirage or a vision of and Punamu means green stone. So it actually means mirage or a vision of green stone referencing the bird's green colour. And later when the Europeans came in, they named the bird Rifleman. Now, there are many stories as to how the bird got its English name and one of which is the resemblance of the bird's green colour to the uniform of the Rifleman in the New Zealand Army. The bird weighs around 6 to 7 grams. This is about the weight of 3 or 4 playing cards. It measures from 7 to 9 centimetres. To put it in perspective, the Rifleman is half the size of a house sparrow which is about 18 centimetres and weighs about 40 grams. Uh, they have little or no tail and so they are a little rounded stubby bird, uh, very discreet, uh, quick moving and, uh, and easily missed. You know, many observers working for, walking through the forest literally wouldn't see them and their call doesn't help because it's high pitched and it's beyond the hearing of many people uh, and uh, you know you need good young ears to be able to hear it clearly. With all the birds in the background, it could be tricky to hear it, but if you listen carefully, you will notice that high-pitched squeak.
and uh, my hearing, for example, as I get older, it, it declines a bit. So I can hear some of the uh, some of the call range, but not not other parts of it, which is a shame. But that's how it is. And uh, so, the when you see the bird, you will catch a glimpse of it flitting uh, on the trunks, perhaps a little bit higher up in the canopy, and it's got a distinctive wing flick. It goes, it flicks its wings, like you know, flick, flick, flick as it moves. They've got a tiny thorn-like bill that curves up slightly and you'll most commonly see them on the trunk. They come in low and then climb the trunk. They will feed a bit in the canopy here, but they like the trunks. And so this is really, if you look at it, it is just trunks everywhere. And, uh, and Karnak is very prolific in small insect species, so, uh, so they like the territory so much. But there's a catch. The birds like to nest in natural cavities that are found in old trees anything like little holes where they can build their nest in. There's a, there's a bit of a lack of um, natural nesting cavities um, in this kind of forest. Um, it's uh, kanuka, which is amazing for insects, which um, the riflemen feed on, but um, because it's quite a young forest, sort of 30 to 40 years uh, regeneration, it um, doesn't have the cavities, the holes in the decaying wood that they, they need to nest in. So really good um, insect habitat, um, good food for the riflemen, but just not enough houses, kind of like the rest of New Zealand. So this is where the nest boxes come in. Instead of natural cavities on the tree, the birds can use the boxes to nest in. But to understand more about the forests on the Otago Peninsula and the changes they have been through, we'll have to go back in time. So pre-European times, uh, the Otago Peninsula would have been forested and the forest would have been uh, a mix of various broadleaf species, but it will have also included some larger timber trees like uh, rimu and totara, and even kakatea in this area. And uh, Europeans uh, decided it looked like farmland, and so it was cleared and, and, uh, and turned into pasture. And 150 years ago, we would be standing in, on a sheep farm. And uh, since then, the best uh, parts of the peninsula have been kept open and retained for grazing. But those parts which you could describe as difficult and marginal, because they're steep or because the soils are poor, or for whatever the reason is, we're, we're seeing more and more regeneration of these areas. And this area at the back of Portobello is probably, probably the best example of that um, on the peninsula. So the forest that we're walking in was once a farmland, but 30 to 40 years ago, the native forest came back. And this is where the Kanuka tree comes in. Uh, in this area, the, the progression is that we've got Kanuka in the district and it acts as a pioneer. It's able to uh, wander across pasture and to colonise it. And if you look behind you, it produces uh, dense stands of uh, closely packed Kanuka like this. The Kanuka doesn't grow underneath itself because it needs high light levels for the seed to germinate and, and the small plants to grow. So as the Kanuka canopy lifts, in the interior, it starts filling up with other plants, uh, which other native plants, which are tolerant of the low light levels. Karnica itself is a temporary arrangement. It's a, it's a what we call a pioneer that comes in and starts a process going. And so this phenomena of of, uh, of Karnica spreading in the in the Portobello district is is quite quite significant. And uh, and the conservation project is really to support them by providing uh, nest boxes. Into the distant future, then, uh, as the forest is more diverse, it'll be more self-supporting in terms of in terms of rifleman numbers. But for now, we think that putting boxes in will make a big difference to to population numbers. And uh, as Marcia said, we're doing a, an annual survey, 
and we're hoping that what will come from that will be clear evidence that riflemen numbers uh, are growing in areas like this, uh, but also spreading. So we've got boxes set up in property, adjoining properties and further away, and we're hoping to see the, the, the effect of, of a greater population spreading into those, into those new areas. The purpose-built nest boxes also protect the riflemen from introduced predators like rats and possums. Well, the, the bird likes a nest. Uh, the bird likes a cavity, uh, a, a concealed cavity, and preferably with a, a small entrance. And the size of the cavity is roughly the size of two clenched fists. That's, that, that's a typical nest size. So we build it to, uh, to meet that need. And then around the front, if you come around the side here, you'll see the entrance hole. It's a, it's a, it's a 20 millimeter hole. We've got, a, uh, we've got a, a steel washer around it. That gives us a nice, the correct size hole. It also stops rodents chewing it out. And uh, that hole is going to be a little bit small for a rat to get through. Uh, a, a mouse could, but notice how we've painted the front of the, front of the boxes. So they're going to, there's not going to be any purchase there for a mouse. So, so we'd say that they're quite rodent proof. And uh, in, in a natural nest, they will replicate that same thing. They'll be looking for a small entrance into an enclosed space that's big enough uh, for their purpose. Um, they love the boxes, and uh, and that's part of the that's part of why this approach is so successful for the riflemen. Is we can easily replicate their nesting requirements and and boost their numbers that way. Back on the nest search, we decided to sit and wait near a nest box to see what the birds are up to. So it's quite common if you sit and watch a nest box that a bird the birds will turn up. And have a look at you, but they, then they lose interest if you sit still and if you're far enough from the nest and they just drift away. And then a few minutes later you'll notice a bird just uh, heading in discreetly up back into the box. Yeah, it's often a 10 minute wait sort of thing. And after a few minutes we saw an awesome sight. Look, two of them dead. look yeah. see that? That's the male on the right. Did you see him? He just fed the female. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. <clears throat> so the male supports the female during egg laying by feeding her. And so that indicates that they haven't completed laying the clutch on the nest. So there'll be, uh, typically they'll lay four eggs. So that indicates there's probably not four eggs there yet, because once the four are there, or whatever they decide is going to be the final number, they will reasonably promptly commence sitting and incubating on them within, within 24 or 48 hours. Uh, do they swap duties at all? They do. The um, the rifleman um, father, he's he's a modern man. He um, he helps out with the nest building. He helps incubate the kids. Uh, when the mum's laying eggs, he'll he'll come and feed her as well. Um, yeah, no, he's he, it's, a, it's a very much a shared partnership. I asked Marcia and Shanta on what hopes do they have for the future of the rifleman. On the peninsula, they're really just residual populations, just clinging on to the remnants of forest that still exist. And so I, I suppose my hope for it is that the Otago Peninsula will become more bush-clothed in the future. It is not, there are some good farms here, there are some great farms here, but some of the country is quite marginal. And the, the, the thought that that might revert to forest and that riflemen might be one of the key species that's found in it uh, would, is, is a great thought for the future. We've got um, below sort of 10% um, forest left. We, we got down to about 5% at one stage. 
um, of original forest cover. Um, and I would love to see a progression of, of bushy corridors and the riflemen following, following that growth. Um, Grassy Point used to be a, a really hot spot for riflemen. It's um, the, the bit that sticks out between Broad Bay and Mac Bay. Um, and we don't, there doesn't seem to be any riflemen left there and that used to be a real stronghold. So um, that's the first step. We want to put out a uh, series of, of stepping stones of, um, of um, uh, riflemen nest boxes. We, we're getting, there's a, there's a bit more um, bush and, and forest coming up between here and, and Broad Bay. Um, so if we can, yeah, if we can get them close enough that people can really see them really easily and yeah, just become more aware of them, that would be amazing because they're just such cool birds. 40 nests were found in this year's rifleman census. This is more than double the number from last year. And one special nest was found inside a trap that was meant for possums, one of the introduced predators that can eat little eggs or even birds. So with four little eggs inside the box and parent birds waiting around, the volunteers had to work hard to modify the trap to make it safe for the birds. All for the tiny rifleman. That was the Tune Into Nature podcast episode created by Kartik SS. The story of Titipunamu riflemen on Otago Peninsula is episode 5 in the series. And for it, Kartik spoke with Marcia Dale and Shanta McPherson of the Otago Peninsula Biodiversity Group. You can follow the Tune Into Nature podcast or find it on the Otago Access Radio website. The show has Instagram and Facebook accounts that you can also follow. Thanks so much to Karthik for chatting with me for this week's Our Changing World, for giving me a soundscape clip from his home in India, and for the episode of Tune Into Nature to play. We are delighted to be able to share great local science and environment content such as this. This episode was produced by Karthik SS and me, Claire Kincannon. Sound engineering was by Mark Chesterman. Tim Walken is executive producer of Podcasts and Series. I'll be back next week with more stories about the science happening around Aotearoa. To make sure you don't miss an episode in 2022, follow Our Changing World on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Our website is at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld, and I'll post some pictures and links related to this episode there. And... Our Changing World is also on Facebook and Twitter at RNZ Science. Do come and say hi. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Kincannon. Kia pai, do wiki. <laughs>